Stay tuned for Occupied Territory America, hosted by Mike Fader. This is uh, Thursday, and it is 2 p.m. Eastern Time, and we're here with Occupied Territory America. The show appears every week at 2 p.m. on Thursdays. That's 2 p.m. Eastern Time, and then it's available on podcasts later this evening or the next morning. Uh, It is rebroadcast on several other radio stations. Uh, I'm going to start listing them on my website, so you can uh, keep track of it if you want. Also, speaking of my website, there are some actual changes and some potentially um, serious changes going on in um, my radio schedule. Potentially, I say, because I don't really know. There are changes going on in my radio scheduling and my different radio shows. Uh, Some of them may be slight. Some of them may be more than slight. Also, there's other information available about new things that I'm doing political and otherwise, uh, I suggest that the best thing to do is to, uh, for everybody who's listening, especially those people who listen from Sirius, if you're a listener on this uh, show, on this station, but you listen to me on Sirius XM radio, you especially may want to go to my website just to keep track of the radio shows that I do and other things that I'm doing. So, For all of you, I suggest that. You can also get in touch with me that way, and you can join my mailing list, which I would like you to do. Um, It is faderfiles.com, F-E-D-E-R-F-I-L-E-S.com, faderfiles.com, F-E-D-E-R-F-I-L-E-S.com. So um, I would urge all of you to go there to find out the various things I'm doing, how you can find out how to get there, and check out what's going on, especially also if you want to get in touch with me. Where to start with various things this week? Um, I see, as we all see, if we read the newspapers, that the uh, Senate, the Republicans and the Democrats, that is to say the people in charge of the Democrats and Republicans, that is Schumer, McCain, and um, Harry Reid, and one or two others, got together in some room. I guess it's not smoke-filled anymore. Most people don't smoke, right? Because they know it's bad for their health or it looks bad, whatever. Anyhow, they got together in some back room somewhere, and maybe three or four people figured out um, a massive uh, uh, problem that they've been having for a couple of years, for many years, actually, since Obama got elected in the Senate. The Republicans being cement-headed 
uh, corporate bribed, uh, bigoted, somewhat lunatic people, uh, worse even than the Democrats, who are pretty bad to begin with, they have decided to, especially because Obama is um, uh, giving away some of their money, in their opinion, although it's very little he's giving away, more he's taking from the rest of us. But in their opinion, that's the way they feel. Also because he's black and for various other reasons, they decided to block every single piece of legislation and every appointment that he's made. These appointments have been stacking up like thousands of planes over an airport, basically crippling the ability of government to do us the citizens who live in this country, any good. Uh, Federal court appointments are approaching or beyond almost an emergency situation. There are many, many, many unfilled federal district court and appeals court appointments that the president makes based on recommendations from who knows where. If it was Bush, it would be from uh, Christ or uh, maybe the head of uh, an oil company. But... If it's Obama, it might be from uh, the head of an oil company. You could probably scratch Christ uh, and um, maybe his major donors or whatever else. But they would generally probably he would also take into account um, what had happened for the last, I don't know, 50 to 75 years. The American Bar Association, um, in a kind of a bipartisan or nonpartisan way, reviewed possible judges were names of judges that were submitted by the federal government to the Bar Association. And they came up with names themselves of people that they felt were the most qualified, the most intelligent, the most reasonable, the most just people to to be federal judges. And it's an extremely difficult and responsible job, to say the least. People's lives are at stake. Federal policy is at stake. They can turn a whole health program around. They can void this and void that. They can hold up uh, voting rights acts or they can amend voting rights acts. I mean, just by a decision that's made in federal court, as we all know from reading the papers. So uh, the Obama administration, Obama, has appointed um, dozens or come up with names of dozens of federal judges and the Republicans one way or another just a few people in Washington, D.C., mostly bigoted or bribed or self-opportunistic narcissists, have decided that the rest of the country can go screw itself and have no justice and uh, will not approve these, uh, these, um, these appointments. I don't know how the vote works, you know, straight up and down out of committee. I don't know. So in the same vein... You see that the Senate is basically crippled for a long time now because of this filibuster rule. If they don't get 60 votes, if they don't have 60 votes available to pass something, they can't pass something. I don't really understand the exact parliamentary procedures involved. My impression was growing up, and I guess I didn't te- they didn't teach us that well. <laughs> they said that if you have 51, if there's, if, there's, um, you know, if there's nine people in a room and five out of four of them want something, like on the Supreme Court, then that's what comes. That's what happens. It's called the majority, right? So, um, or is that a plurality? I, am, I apologize for my ignorance a little bit. I apologize. But uh, my impression was that if you had 50, once upon a time before uh, Obama was reelected, he had, I think there were 54 Democratic senators and 46 Republicans. Now, what is it, 51 or 52 uh, against, uh, you know, um, 48 or 49? And uh, I always thought that if uh, 51 voted for something and 49 against, it would pass. 
I thought that was called representative government or the majority rules. Isn't that sort of how it works? I mean, when we vote for president, forget about the Electoral College and, you know, uh, bribery and election fraud from the Republicans and maybe some Democrats and everything else and non-functioning machinery and who knows what else. The idea was that whoever gets the most, and the Electoral College obviously has to be dumped overboard. Why it still exists is a mystery to me. I think basically small states want it uh, because it gives them, um, uh, you know, a chance to have um, undue influence on uh, who becomes president. But um, uh, if you dump the Electoral College overboard, which it richly deserves, uh, I thought that if, uh, you know, if more people voted for one person than another, that person gets elected, Correct. It doesn't work that way in the Senate if there's not 51 votes against 49. Nevertheless, uh, nothing has been able to happen because the Republicans apparently can filibuster. And they changed the filibuster rules. Um, I don't know who changed the filibuster rules. It used to be that you actually had to stand on your feet. Um, the same way, did you, did you see what happened with Wendy Davis in Texas? Wendy Davis, this woman who opposed uh, this... Uh, absurd, male-dominated, Christian, festering, uh, anti-abortion act in Texas, the worst in the whole country, you name it, uh, why a woman could even live, why any woman would live in Texas anymore if she could afford to get out has to be a mystery to me now. It is a state that clearly has stated officially that it has disdain, contempt, and possibly hatred for women. And any woman who is not uh, addled in her brain by Christianity or just plain poor and can't do it, I suggest you leave Texas and find a civilized place to live. Anyhow, so these men, these Christian corporate white men in Texas passed the worst uh, anti-abortion law, the most anti-female law in the entire country. And a woman down there, um, a Democratic state senator, Wendy Davis, uh, tried to filibuster it so she could uh, somehow knock it out of a session that where it had to be concluded and it couldn't be done. But they called a special session afterwards, even though she managed to stall it somewhat. Stood on her feet for 12 hours. And this is what you have to do down in Texas if you want to filibuster a bill, if you want to stand up because you have a feeling, not because you're a lunatic, you know, like Senator Ted Cruz or Louis Gohmert or whoever else the Texas turns out, Louis Gopher. If you're actually sane and you have a passionate belief, think Mr. Smith goes to Washington. If you have a passionate belief in something, you absolutely know that uh, somebody is lying and that you're right. You know, and um, you have a passionate belief in something that has to do with justice or morality and you see something that is wrong. You're allowed one person. And I approve of this, of course. You know, yeah, majority rules. But still. The idea of an individual, and after all, how many times in history have individuals stood apart from everybody else or most other people and finally convinced everybody? You know, um, I often use cultural references because they're handy and most people know them. There's a fantastic movie called Twelve Angry Men. It was a play on Broadway, I think, originally. It's called Twelve Angry Men with Henry Fonda. It's a little dated, a little antique right now, black and white movie. But it is a stark, wonderful, beautifully acted movie about uh, 12 men in a jury room on a very hot day. You know, and this is before air conditioning, right? Um, and they uh, have to decide a uh, case against a teenager who was committed, uh, who was convicted of, um, not convicted, who was uh, being tried for murder. And they were the ones who would, you know, say guilty or not guilty. And the whole thing takes place in this jury room. And... 
they all decided that he was guilty for one reason or another. Personal reasons, the the evidence, what was obvious to them, whatever. It was too hot and they wanted to go home. One guy needed to go to a ball game and couldn't care less, and he went with the majority. One guy who tried to be reasonable and fair and took the law to heart, where it said if there's a reasonable doubt, right? One guy voted against, and they looked at him like, you know, what is wrong with you? And they told him, they said, you know, are you crazy? Are you a communist? Blah, 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 blah. During the course of the movie, which... Uh, <laughs> which I will not tip off at the end, this guy stood up against all these people by himself and argued against um, against convicting this guy using reason, morality, and what the law said was fair. In Texas, this woman, Wendy Davis, did the same thing. She stood up for women. She stood up for all the women in Texas, whether or not they even knew they needed standing up for, especially the Christian women who are diseased in their brains, some of them, the fundamentalists. And I mean fundamentalist when I say Christian. So don't, you know, don't get upset. You know what I'm saying. So they, she stood up for women. She stood up for all women in Texas, even women who don't even know any better and who believe in, uh, you know, no abortions because the fetus is able to, uh, I don't know, what is it that they said the fetus, some Republicans said last week, you know, fetuses can uh, masturbate. That proves that they're uh, human. <laughs> well, that means that some of us are even more human than others, I guess. But why get into details? But um, so anyhow, this guy said, yeah, fetuses have been have been it's been proven. I don't know in his dreams, I guess, that fetuses masturbate. So they're more human than uh, <laughs> so that proves they're human. Right. The, you know, it's if they have to prove it or not. Right. Uh, my attitude about abortion, I'll tell you in a second. Anyhow, yeah, fetuses also, it, it, not only uh, is there scientific proof now that that fetuses are human because they. Uh, or they have a soul, whatever, because they masturbate. But also fetuses have been observed trading derivatives and hedge funds. And that surely shows that they are alive and they're American, right? And they can't be tampered with. Uh, my attitude about abortion is this. Um, I have a very sort of, not complicated, but uh, long-considered spiritual attitude towards life. I do not believe in any organized religion. In fact, I believe organized religion is a kind of a plague and uh, a con game uh, on the face of the earth. And it's been responsible for more misery, as you can see just by picking up any newspaper, more misery, death, suffering, um, and uh, violence against people, especially women, all over the world than anything else that ever happened. The Roman Empire pales in comparison to the depredations, the violence, and the bigotry, and the misery caused by various fundamentalist uh, religions of all sorts. Um, so, um, but I do have a spiritual, uh, I heard somebody criticize that once, a spiritual is some kind of left-wing, namby-pamby, politically correct way to say you're religious or not religious. No, I believe spiritual is a perfectly fine word. Just like liberal used to be a fine word before people decided progressive was a better word. Here we are in the progressive radio network. Yeah, progress, that's good, progressive. I like liberal. Liberal was fine with me for a long time. And it was fine, obviously, with the majority of American people who were liberals for a long time. Why it has been thrown overboard just because a bunch of people who declare themselves to be liberal are turncoats and corporate assholes, that's beside the point. Liberal is a perfectly fine word. FDR and his crew were liberals. That's fine with me. However, progressives, my attitude is about spirituality. It is not that it's a namby-pamby thing. It is exactly the right thing. 
There is a spiritual world. You can use any word you want to choose. There is an ethereal world. There is an eternal world somewhere that is vast beyond our imagining, that exi- in my opinion, that exists uh, you know, outside of organized religion, uh, has nothing to do with all this anthropomorphic bullshit that people believe in with religion. You know, uh, elephants that have human claws and feet and... Uh, Gods with six eyeballs and, uh, you know, uh, the Holy Ghost and Christ, the Son of God, virgins who give birth. Um, you know, a uh, man goes up on a mountain, talks to God and comes down with tablets written by God. Give me a goddamn break already. Pardon the expression, goddamn. <laughs> but, yes, I have a feeling based on vast experience and thought and observation. And who could ever prove it, Right that there is another kind of existence. And we are in it all the time. We just don't even know it. Like fish in an ocean, we don't know we're in it. And we come and go, you know, various births, rebirths. We are connected, all of us connected in some way, which is almost impossible to describe, although poets and other people have attempted to describe it. And it has been described in great detail, actually, if you want to check out the Tibetan Book of the Dead, which is really something, actually. Different planes, different levels of existence. So, yes, what do I believe about abortion? When, I, when, when a woman has a, chooses to have an abortion, when there is an abortion, I believe that life is being extinguished. What I go so far as to say, these are freighted words. What's more freighted than a discussion of abortion, right? Uh, do I believe that a human life is being extinguished? Yeah, sort of. So I think what is necessary is that if a woman, and I know because I've been involved in situations like this and participated in them because I was involved in them, if there's an abortion, if a woman chooses to have an abortion or has to have an abortion, but especially if she chooses to have one, she probably, I don't like to use the word should, but she should have, but there should be a sense of, there should be a sense um, of deliberately deciding to um, extinguish a human life, what would be a baby. Yes, you are doing that. Would you go so far as to say it's murder? It's too, it's too freighted a word. It's too freighted a word. Too pregnant, is your part of the expression, a word. has got too much attached to it, so I won't use that word. But I think that if you choose to have an abortion, um, that you are uh, extinguishing a growing life. But I think sometimes it's absolutely necessary to do for all sorts of reasons. All sorts of reasons, which are, in the end, uh, as a bargain, better for the mother, if there's a father involved, for the family, even for society itself. That's up to a woman to choose to do. And hopefully consulting with a man if he is uh, intimately involved in the decision and what would happen afterwards. But it's something you should take responsibility for. It's an awful thing. I've been with women who've had abortions. And it's one of the worst things that can happen. Uh, women know if they have an abortion. I mean, a lot of people who um, who are on the right wing or fundamentalists, they say, oh, women just have abortions like they're eating candy or they went to the movies. Oh, really? That's just your own stupidity. I, I'm sure none of you are listening because this is that kind of show. <laughs> but it's their own stupidity. Put it that way. Um, I've never known a woman who had an abortion, especially woman who had any sensitivity or intellect or sense of reason or a sense of spirituality that, that didn't feel awful about it, to put it mildly. Because there's a sense of 
you doing something which goes almost against the natural order of things. And you make a choice. You take responsibility for it. But that's your choice. It's your responsibility. Anyhow, Wendy Davis, this senator from Texas, um, I don't know much about her background, but apparently a friend of mine who was on uh, this show, is it a week or two ago? He... Um, who lives in Texas, who knows all about her background, said she's the real deal. In other words, she's a true liberal. She's really for people, for people's rights. She's a decent, humane person and has shown that in her legislative career. She stood up, and this is the rules of Texas, for against an anti-abortion bill for 12 hours, maybe off by an hour or two. She stood up for 12 straight hours. She stood up. You have to stand up. You cannot even rest your head or the upper portion of your body on the lectern or a rostrum. You have to stand up. And not only that, you have to address the issue. You can't stand there and read the Bible. You can't stand there and croak out after the eighth hour the Constitution or the phone book. You have to address the issue every minute constantly. Some some, uh, rampant Texas asshole is going to interrupt her and did interrupt her and say objection or uh, not sticking to the point. We, uh, you know, uh, we have to move on. The filibuster is over. You know, they, they, they try basically. It was a kind of a spiritual and metaphorical gang rape they were practicing on her as a representative of women of Texas. But she fought them off. And she is a true heroine. Uh, so check her out, Wendy Davis. Check her out on YouTube. Uh, Wendy, I don't know if it's an I or a Y, Davis in Texas. And now she is considering running for governor and trying to uh, move this state from its extraordinarily corrupt, corporate, fundamentalist, white Republican uh, you know, uh, power base, trying to knock them off their pedestals there. And good luck to her, right? We should all send her money. If she, if she declares she's running for anything over there, send her money. Check out her website if she's got one. I think uh, if she actually declares that she's running for senator or congress or for governor, this is somebody you really give your money to. Not the Democratic National Committee, not Obama, for Christ's sake. Not anybody like that. But this person, a real person, like, give her money. <laughs> She deserves money. She's not third party, but she deserves money. She stands up for 12 hours. That's what you got to do in Texas. I think it used to be what you had to do in, um, in the uh, U.S. Senate, but I don't know anymore. But now in the U.S. Senate, you can call in from somewhere else. You don't actually have to be on the spot every second. You can, um, you can uh, I think you can sit down. This is probably because the average age in the Senate, I found out today, is 62 years old. The average age in the Senate is 62 years old because maybe so maybe the old guys and I sympathize. I'm an old guy, too. Maybe the old guys decided eh, we can't be doing that. Now, we want to slow down and stop the whole machinery of government because we know we're right. And maybe in some cases they might have been, but in most cases they're not. Uh, but we can't be expected. We're old, old folks. Besides which, that's for that's for people who are um, who are of a different class than us. We're all rich. And most of them are. Uh, we all pull the strings of power in a state of supreme arrogance. Who are we to have to stand up for something we believe in? They literally don't have to stand up anymore for something they believe in. And that's a wonderful <laughs> linguistic, symbolic way to describe it. Wendy Davis had to stand up for what she believed in, literally, figuratively, linguistically, metaphorically, and every other way. These 
overweight, corpulent, corporate tools don't have to stand up. They can read the phone book. They can read their girlfriend and their wife's telephone numbers. They can read anything they want, right? They can read the list of lobbyists who bribed them with lunches and vacations and millions of dollars. They can read the number of speaking fees they got in the hundreds of thousands, speaking to the National uh, Retail Lollipop Convention, you know, whatever it is that they do to uh, shysterize themselves on the American public. But um, so they couldn't have they can't have a filibuster. Why um, the Democrats and this is a question which is slightly rhetorical. The Democrats for years have been saying they can't pass bills and they can't push appointments through because the Republicans will filibuster. So just the threat of a filibuster, just the threat of it, uh, stop the Democrats from being able to pass bills. I asked a few people who are expert in this kind of thing, and I said, is there any reason why they wouldn't just allow these people to have a filibuster? And um, and then finally, the whole country would see what extraordinarily, extraordinarily stupid, bigoted, um, corrupt clowns the Republicans really are. I mean, it's easy to say that, and you can see it even by you look at their voting records or who they are or what they say. Clearly easy to say, uh, to see, or to say, but to actually see them have to do it, to say for, for the majority leader or whatever it is, for this, uh, you know, Senate majority leader to say, you know what, go ahead, have a filibuster. You don't want this bill to pass, uh, a bill maybe that would help 28 million people get health insurance. You don't want a bill to, ha- to pass that would raise the minimum wage so people can actually buy something to eat for their children. You don't like any of that. You don't want to see... Ahead of the Consumer Protection Agency, which Elizabeth Warren campaigned almost entirely by herself for, someplace that's going to protect people from rapacious, um, uh, you know, uh, criminal banks. You don't want to see that protect the majority of the American people? Then you stand up from now on and hold the floor under all the conditions, all the onerous conditions, and you show the whole American public with a camera on you on C-SPAN just exactly, you tell them exactly why for 12, 15, 20, 30 hours, why it is you don't want there to be uh, somebody appointed to the National Labor Relations Board to help people who are just plain workers or to have a federal judge appointed so we can have justice in this country. Why not? Why did they never make them stand up and do it? Well, you can answer that for yourselves because most of them are the same as the other side. God forbid, you know, that they would ever have to be, you know, stand up for what they believe in. That's why they don't make them stand up for what they believe in. That's one of the simplest reasons why they don't do it. Harry Reid and all these people and Schumer. Schumer is actually, uh, Schumer is not actually a human being. Schumer is, uh, Schumer is a holograph. Broad, he's an avatar. He's a holograph broadcast to look like um, a uh, you know a 59 year old senator from New York State with a suit on. It's brought he is this is projected onto the Senate floor and in news conferences. He's not really there. It's projected from the the roof of the New York Stock Exchange by a special projector they have. Schumer is so much in the pocket of Wall Street. He is Mr. Wall Street, and he is uh, possibly one of the two most powerful senators and one of the five most powerful politicians in all of Washington. Hardly anything gets done in Washington that affects the whole country. You, you're listening, all of us, everything, taxes, banks, you name it, 
without Schumer having a hand in it or approving it. And Schumer, although he is allegedly a Democrat and theoretically a liberal, is actually the most uh, bribed Wall Street um, sodden senator in, uh, in the Senate, maybe in the history of the United States Senate. He is a real pig, Schumer. He's the senator from my state. He's the senator from Wall Street. He's not the senator from New York. Charles Schumer is a senator from Wall Street. Whenever he gets involved in a negotiation about anything, specifically and especially banks and money, he is representing a handful of the richest people in the world and certainly the people who destroyed our economy. That's who Schumer represents, not New York State. So don't make a mistake about Schumer. So this pig... And uh, Harry Reid, who is uh, basically a hand puppet for the mining and minerals interests in Nevada and has far too much money, including his whole family, who is corrupt, too, or a lot of them, I should say. Uh, between Harry Reid and Schumer, both Democrats, and John McCain, who, who, when he was running for president, they asked him how many houses he had. He forgot. <laughs> he is so rich, or rather his wife is so rich, who he married, has something like nine, eight or nine estates all over the world. He didn't even know how many houses he, he had when he was running for president of the United States of America, where tens of millions of people can barely pay uh, the mortgage payments every month on their own houses. He didn't even know how many houses he had. I talk about these things. Why, you know, some people don't like it when I laugh. They think I'm being facetious. I'm not being facetious. You know what this laugh is, right? It's the kind of laugh you laugh and so you don't cry. I mean, the absurdity of American politics and the American form of government as it stands now and the American public itself who elects anybody like these people is a mystery to me. Um, take a guy like Schumer. Schumer is elected from a state where there are probably as many or more educated people, people with uh, higher educations and possibly uh, even more keen intellects, uh, certainly about politics, than almost any other state in the country, perhaps more than any other state in the country. There's more people in New York City and downstate here in New York, upstate, maybe not so much, but there's more people, in, there, there's, there's millions of voters in New York City most of them are more educated on average than most other voters, right? And I'm not saying this is bad or good or, or elevating them above anybody. It's beside the point. These people, it doesn't make any difference. Who elected all these people? Who elected the House of Representatives? Who voted for the Republicans in the House of Representatives and some of those Democrats who voted with them? I don't understand it. You can't just blame these guys because, you know, I still, absent the electoral vote, uh, bribes by campaign, uh, by rich campaign donors, uh, huge amounts of money to advertise to people, and that's part of the point. Uh, uh, tampering with ballot boxes, which the Republicans uh, do as a matter of course, generally, and the Republic and the Democrats do in a lot of places too. Kennedy, it's it's well known that Kennedy probably won. Uh, the Virginia primary and especially may have actually won the presidency of the United States because it was such a close vote because Mayor Daley, uh, Richard Daley, the original Daley in Chicago, uh, was so utterly corrupt and probably stuffed ballot boxes, discouraged other people from voting, uh, made sure certain districts reported, overreported votes. Basically, Daley got him elected probably in an illegal manner. So the Democrats are no uh, no angels here. But... When you look at these people in the House of Representatives who recently just passed 
an agricultural bill. It hasn't been signed into law yet, and it probably won't be, because if it is, <laughs> I, they pass a bill, which I talked about before and, and other people have talked about. It's an agriculture bill. And in it are subsidies of, I don't know what, $180 billion, whatever. You know, these figures don't make any sense anymore. So $180 billion uh, for agricultural, to subsidize agricultural um, entities, basically large corporations, agribusiness, and farmers. I'm sure Monsanto comes in there, um, uh, you know, sh- large sugar companies, uh, corn companies, corn companies that have, you know, industrial farms, all that kind of thing. Uh, individual farmers that are very rich people. Like one of the um, one of the members of the House of Representatives, a Republican, of course, who was adamant about passing this. And um, also the addition to this is, is of course, they passed this agricultural bill. And um, in it, as part of the agricultural bill, because that's where, that's where apparently, because it's food, uh, there are food stamps in the agricultural bill. That's where every time they want to renew food stamps, to the almost 50 million Americans, one out of six Americans gets food stamps or else they wouldn't have enough nutrition or even enough to eat every day, that they might even starve to death. That's how, that's how terribly off this country is. That's how poverty-stricken the quote-unquote richest country in the world is. They pass a bill in the House of Representatives, almost every Republican voted for it, which awards Huge amounts of money, including this one guy who got $3 billion in subsidies since the time he's been in Congress um, as a cotton, rich cotton farmer down somewhere. I don't know where it was, Mississippi or Alabama. This guy voted against food stamps. So he gets <clears throat> millions of dollars in subsidies. He's already making you know, a huge profit on his industrial farms down there, cotton farms, cotton, whatever it is, plantations. <laughs> uh, and he has to get $3 million in subsidies. Most of this money in the agriculture bill went to rich companies that don't even need this money, right? And rich farmers that don't even need this money. And at the same time, these Republicans voted against any food stamps whatsoever, not to decrease it, not to alter it. They threw them all out. They say if the bill gets, and if this bill got signed into law, there would be no food stamps. Um, Hundreds of thousands of Americans would literally starve to death. It would be like Calcutta or something, you know, 100 years ago with people festering in the streets. It would look like the plague year in the 1300s in Europe. There would be so many dead people around. And they cut them all out and passed a bill that awards billions of dollars to themselves or to their rich friends or to the agricultural business. What I want to know, here's the question is who voted these people in? Who voted for these guys? I can tell you this. After asking the question, I'm answering it. (laughs) Because I've been on the air for a long time. And for the last 10 years, I've been on Sirius XM, and I get thousands of, I've gotten thousands of calls from people all across the country, right? And I've read all about this. I've read books about it. Why do people vote against their own interests? I can tell you this. Millions of people who voted, you know, across 50 different states to elect these strange, bigoted, narrow-minded, corrupt individuals. Millions of these people who voted for these people who just voted in the House of Representatives to end food stamps for everybody live on food stamps. You tell me how somebody 
who lives on food stamps and has for a while because they can't get a job, because there are no jobs, because Wall Street you know, crashed the economy and bankers crashed the economy. These people uh, live on food stamps. These people live on various kinds of uh, medical subsidies and aid from state and federal government. The Republicans in the House routinely and have for years voted against all of these things, which cause tremendous suffering and death to the people in these backward, stupid states and other places that vote for them. And these people continue to elect them. You tell me why. This is one of the great questions of American culture and history that people, when they look back on it, they will wonder about this. You tell me why. So you can't just blame these people in Washington for, this, for their behavior. And I'm including Democrats and Republicans. You can't blame Obama so much. You can't blame this. You can't blame that. Yeah, there's only two parties. So you have to choose one of them. Uh, so you don't have much of a choice there. You have a choice, of course. You could uh, stage massive disobedience. You could uh, you could slow down and even stop the action of the convention if you want to face militarized cops and homeland security. You could boycott the Democratic Party. You could, or we could all, get together and pool all our money. Like, for instance, if everybody in this country that gave money to the Democratic National Committee to all those fundraising letters, to, to President Obama, all the fundraising letters, all these other stuff. If everybody got together and said, I keep voting for these people and I can't pay my mortgage, the bankers get away with everything, they don't go to jail, they get bonuses of billions of dollars and millions of dollars, and I have nothing, there are no jobs that are created. Uh, the President of the United States, in a position to do this, along with some Democrats who have power to do it, does not raise the tax rate on rich people, but only a couple of percent. So they're still paying 20, 30, 40 percent, 50 percent less than they were under Eisenhower. So the rich people get away with everything. More and more money flows to the rich. Don't give money to the Democratic National Committee. Don't do it. Don't give money to your Democratic congressperson unless you know for sure what their voting record is and how they truly do represent the regular people of this country, and most of them don't. Don't do it. If you didn't, if you if you starve them out and take that money and run in primaries, find your own person, stay away from the Democratic Party, even on a local basis for any national election. It's a waste of money and time. Maybe there's a couple of people. I don't have their names right here in front of me. And I know one guy who's been on my show on series, Alan Grayson in Florida. Alan Grayson, who has plenty of his own money, but not enough to get elected, you know, the way elections are these days. Alan Grayson uh, is one of a handful of Democratic Congress uh, members who deserves your money. Somebody like Debbie, what's her name, Schultz in Florida, Nancy Pelosi. These people all have tons of money. And if they don't, they have access to rich donors. They don't need your money. We need to keep all of our money, our $10, our 20 our 50 our $100 contributions, and find in our local areas, in our congressional districts, in our states, people to run for national office who are not part of the Democratic Party. Yeah, we can go with a third party or we can run as the Tea Party people did, although they were manipulated by rich people. You can run in primaries people who really do represent you. You can run somebody like Wendy Davis. You can run somebody even like Elizabeth Warren, even though she's a multimillionaire. You know, I don't know how she made her money, probably banking like they all do. But you could run somebody who actually keeps doing the right thing, who does stuff for the majority of American voters, for taxpayers, for citizens. 
We can run in primaries just like the right wing did and defeat all these hack, corrupt Democrats. Schumer is as bad a politician as it is possible to be. Well, I shouldn't say that. He's as bad a representative of people as it's possible to be. I suppose he's a great politician. So meanwhile, all of this sermonizing is based on the fact that, as you read in the papers, the Republicans uh, got scared somehow. That Harry Reid and Schumer and a couple of other people, I don't know what they did, but they threatened the Republicans with something. I don't know why they didn't do it for years before, but somehow they managed to put them in a position where they had to approve the head of the Consumer Protection Agency, which Elizabeth Warren set up, which is there to prevent us from being raped and killed by banks. But the Republicans managed to prevent having a, a person in charge of the agency. So it wasn't functioning. These bastards, right? So finally, they put that nomination through and they approved it. They approved... Um, members of the National Labor Relations Board so that they have enough members now, a member of National Labor Relations Board, so they can protect unions and protect workers and various other appointments. Um, I don't know what the... Here's the point. I don't know what the Democrats threatened the Republicans with. My question is, why didn't they do it years ago from the very beginning? Why don't they let them filibuster? And, and everybody already, anybody of any sense or decency or intelligence has contempt for the Republican Party. Why... Not if I was in charge of the Democrats in the Senate and our Republicans threatened to filibuster the appointment of the head of the Consumer Protection Agency, which protects people from being, uh, you know, um, like I said, raped and killed by banks. I would say, you know what? I would say, go ahead, Mr. McCain. Go ahead. The rest of you buffoons, you corrupt assholes, you stand up. Uh, on the Senate floor, C-SPAN will we'll take down your every word and gesture, and you go ahead and tell everybody in America why you don't want to protect their interests. You tell everybody in America why, every worker in America, why you want to make dysfunctional an, uh, a government agency that protects workers. Go ahead, do it, and we'll sit back and watch you destroy yourself. And people will have such permanent ridicule for you after that that you will never have any respect or any votes anymore from anybody, even your own people. Why they don't do it? Because they're protecting their own interests. Because one day maybe they'd be in the minority and they would be forced to stand up and do it. And they don't want to do it. People in Congress and people, except for maybe a handful of people, are hopeless corporate tools. And that includes the president of the United States. Um, and then there's this revolving door where, uh, you know, I have an article. How much time do I have left? Can you tell me how much time I have left? Let's see. Um, time? <laughs> okay. I have just a little bit of time left. Um, here, you know, we all know about the revolving door. The heads of agencies, the FCC, the EPA, uh, the Agriculture Department, you name it, right? Um, the SEC. People from banks, people from high-level people from health insurance companies are appointed to, uh, you know, health and human resources. Uh, people who... Um, who are the head of media companies or the vice presidents of media companies, I should say, for publicity or for whatever, are appointed to the FCC. When they leave the SEC, they get jobs for $500,000 working for the same places they were regulating before. Sometimes they actually even come back to the FCC, and then they go back. They help write legislation. They help enact policies uh, in the federal government, right? So the Food and Drug Administration routinely has people leave their offices at the highest level and work for places like Monsanto, 
and then sometimes leave Monsanto and come back to the Food and Drug Agency, which is supposed to protect our interests, our health, and work for Monsanto while they're working for the FDA. So um, there, uh, there are endless stories about senators and Congress people getting very, very wealthy using corrupt influence uh, on their former colleagues and because they know everybody and because they're pals with them and because maybe they even have blackmail on them. I have no idea. So for the minutes that are remaining, let me read some suggestions I have here. I haven't thought it out that clearly, but I printed them out. This is the way I see things should be done. All lobbyists for anything are not allowed within 50 miles of Washington, D.C. If I was in charge, this is what I would decree. They're not allowed within 50 miles of Washington, D.C. First, for the first offense of setting one foot over that line of 50 miles close to Washington, D.C., where our government is, $1 million fine. Second offense, five years in a federal penitentiary. All members of Congress caught meeting with a lobbyist for any national or state organization for any purpose, and anyone on their staff will be arrested and, if found guilty of violating this rule, will be stripped of their clothing, dressed in orange jumpsuits, and placed in a cage on the floor of Congress with a national video hookup for 10 days. Okay? All members of Congress must declare each year, and there will be an audit by an independent auditor acting outside the Justice Department. They must declare every year their total assets and where they got any money down to the last penny from from anybody. No one who has more than a million dollars in assets accepting their house and car will be permitted to run for another term. No one with more than $5 million in assets can run for Congress or stand for the presidency, ever. No agency or department head of a government bureau can have more than $1 million in assets. No one in Congress can earn even so much as one penny outside their current salary. No speeches, all investments or businesses should be placed in a blind trust or someone else will run their business and that business can receive no government aid or subsidies while that person, that congressperson, is in office. Um, after serving in Congress or the presidency or as head of a government agency, no one will be allowed to assume any post or office in any corporation or law firm or lobbying group that does business with the government for five years. They will receive $200,000 when they leave office. After that, they can live on their own pensions or Social Security or law practice or business like everybody else in the damn country. The president of the United States will not be allowed to meet or speak on the phone or email or any other communication with the CEO of any national corporation or any campaign donor who wants to give more than $100. Any violation of this will result in immediate impeachment. Um, the, um, no member of the military will accompany or stand next to the president except where absolutely necessary for security purposes or threats on his life. All members of the military who need to accompany the president anywhere at any time will be dressed in civilian clothes with their badges of rank or weapons to be carried in a concealed way. All Supreme Court proceedings must be televised. Uh, there will be a draft instituted, one period, uh, one year of service. If someone chooses not to serve in the military, they can serve for one period for a period of one year in a national service corps. Uh, all troops must be pulled from Afghanistan by December 1st of this year. Anybody caught or indicted uh, by the FCC or any or the Justice Department, anybody in a banking firm or a hedge firm who is um, indicted and who is convicted of a crime must go to jail for a mandatory term of 10 years, give up all their assets. No one is allowed to bargain in court. These are mandatory rules and laws. There will be no bargaining. There will be no plea bargaining. 
Just uh, throwing out a few ideas. All right, that's it for this week. Once again, if you want to find out anything I'm doing on the radio, especially you people from Sirius want to check up and see what's going on, go to my website, faderfiles.com. You can check out the new book I wrote and things I've done in other ways and other radio shows. Faderfiles.com, F-E-D-E-R-F-I-L-E-S.com. Take it away, Mr. Engineer. Because I went wrong.